0: Well, good morning, South Crest. How are you all doing today? Are you good? All right. Good morning. Is everybody awake? It's 930, so you're probably still sleeping off Saturday, right? Maybe a little bit. All right. We always walk out, and I always feel like it's awkward when you make a transition from video or song out, so we're just going to dive in. So here's what I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very interactive person, so I may say throughout the course of when we talk that I'm going to say, are you with me? And I need you guys to say, I'm with you, Ian. So are you with me? With Ian. Excellent. So, very excited and honored to be here. This is the first time that I've ever been able to speak in what we always call big church. So, you guys are adults and it's exciting. But I love the opportunity to speak no matter where I'm at. And this week, we're going to be talking on our SC Road Trip about Egypt. Egypt was an incredible land, a land kind of like a bad vacation. And we'll begin to talk about that. But really quickly, I want you to grab your Bibles or your palm or, if those still exist, or your iPhone. And I want you to go in your Bible to 1 Peter Chapter 2, 16. It won't be on the screen yet, but I want to go ahead and put this seed in your mind, and I want you to begin to think with me for a second. It says in 1 Peter 2, verse 16, it said, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now let's pray and let's get started. Father, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to preach your word. Thank you that a Goofy guy from Arkansas who grew up loving you is able to come and God, preach your word because I am a cracked pot and I thank you, Lord, that you put your gospel in clay pots. So, Lord, I pray that today that you would open, God, deaf ears, open blind eyes, that you would soften hard hearts, Father, that you would prepare everybody to hear your word and God, I pray that you would put at every entrance and exit in this room your angels and that in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would bind Satan, his servants, their works and effects. So, Father, we love you, we praise you, and it's in your name that we pray, amen. All right, so let me ask this question, and you've got to be interactive with me. Have you ever had, who in here by show of hands has ever had a really bad vacation? All right, I I didn't get many vacations. Now, maybe you're saying, like, maybe you've had, I'm talking, I'm talking this bad. Maybe you went to Expedia, and you booked a place for great beaches, and you ended up with this. That is good. Ladies, bring extra sun tan lotion because that smog cloud really reflects the sun. So maybe you're that guy and the pictures lied to you and you spent your whole week with a cold beach. Or if you're like me and you like to go camping, I'm not a hippie. I'm not the guy that gets the eno and straps it between trees. I like a tent or an RV, but I like to be out in the open. So maybe if you're like me, you went to Groupon, you got the email, and they said, Man, we've got an incredible offer! offer you can get three nights for two, and then you don't realize that it's actually next to the drive through zoo, and this is what your vacation turns into when you leave your food out. <laughs> now, oh, that's just awful. I can't stand small monkeys. They wig me out. Now, thank you, Groupon. So if you are tracking and you've had an awful vacation, I'll tell you about my vacations so that I make you feel better, but we, my dad owned his own business. And so we never ever got the opportunity to go on vacations, but maybe four or five times over the course of me growing up. And if you've ever had a family member that owned their business, you know that you're pretty much born an employee. You don't get any options about your schedule. My favorite phrase, and I only said it like four times before I got slapped out of me, my dad would say, Hey, Ian, what are you doing Friday night? And I'd say, Well, nothing now. And (laughs) no, bad call. So (laughs) that was very quickly and very short lived. So high school students, learn from my example. If you can't be an example, you're a cautionary tale, amen? So either way, I lived my life hoping for a vacation and finally got the blessing to go to a beach house for a week. And I was 14 years old. I was jacked up, ready to roll. And all of a sudden we go, we've got a week to just chill. We've got our house on the off season. It's awesome. It's cheap because we were cheap. And we get our house, it's in September, it's down in Mobile, Alabama, and we were in Dolphin Island, and I remember being jacked up. The blessing was that I got to go and just rest, and my whole family got to have a good time. So we go out And first day, 14-year-old Ian, like, I was a little Debbie kid too, so Pudge Ian just running out. And I run and jump into the ocean, and I go, woo! And I'm like, this is amazing! And I jump in, and all of a sudden, look out all around, it's off season, look all around, and there's these odd circular floating things. Now, you know where this is going. So, I run, and I just, before this story is told, I want to let you know that I have a high pain tolerance, unless I don't have to have pain, and then I run and scream like a little girl. So, in this case, I wasn't manly, because I didn't see the point, so I go, oh, what's that? And it sucks on. And I, I had 15. 15. And it goes, and I start going, no, I'm like doing the, I'm doing the end zone running. Like my feet are up like this, trying to get out of the water. I'm going, no, leave me alone. And I run and get on the beach. My sister's crying. She had like four and she sat down, but Ian jumping in the beach going, Yo! No. like it was not a good call. So I'm writhing in pain and I'm going, please just stop. I'm rubbing sand, getting them off, pulling what looks like it should be going on my, my toast is stuck on me, stinging me. And all of my mom hears me and like any good mother goes, I need to take care of this. And like any mother of a family on the off-season, where does she go for her advice? WebMD. Now, I didn't find this out till later, but there's two different homemade remedies for this. There's vinegar and there's urine. And thank God that when my mother ran out, she had a bottle of vinegar and not a mason jar because I went. I'm still going, it hurts. And my mom comes out and goes, I got it. And just oh, it's awful, and it just starts stinging, and I'm going, no, get it away, and I'm writhing and freaking out, and my mom goes, no, it's got to, we've got to do this, it's going to make it feel better, but it hurt, and then it finally stops. Now, it was like two or three hours later. Why did my mom do that? She did it because I would have had an awful night and a terrible vacation. Now, if anybody knows me, you know that most stories would end up with me going, I'm going back in the water, but no, I learned my lesson. What was the purpose of my vacation? To be able to rest and enjoy it. I'd been set free from the stings. i had finally not been in pain for a day, and so I went back and hung out on the beach all week. But writhing in pain, Ian, finally ended with my mother taking care of it and setting me free. Now, this is exactly, other than the fact of vacation, how Israel viewed Egypt, And so I get the exciting opportunity to summarize 13 chapters of the Bible in just under 20 minutes. So let's roll. Um, What we're going to talk about today is the idea that Egypt, for Israel, was a land that they looked back at and they didn't want to go. Why do we remember bad vacations? So that we never go back. We don't get taken over by monkeys. We don't go to coal smog. We don't run into the ocean and belly flop and jellyfish. And so the Israelites knew that Egypt was a land of slavery. Egypt was a land where they had been enslaved and against their will had been forced to live for 430 years. America has been around for maybe 300-ish. This is longer than the span of our country that these people had been in slavery. And so when we read the, what he says in Second Peter or 1 Peter, and when we read the Exodus, we need to know that God is building up in His people the idea that I don't ever want to go back to the chains of slavery that I was in. In fact, if you ask a Jewish person from the time of the Exodus all the way until Jesus, you could look at an Israel, Israelite person and say, "Hey, have you been redeemed?" And they would say, "Yes, I've been redeemed." You say, "Well, how do you know?" They say, "Well, because we were set free in Egypt." Now. It's incredible that my God doesn't just have historical facts in the Old Testament, but that those historical facts are also a picture of us. We always want to be the main character in the story. We always want to be Moses or David or, you know, you're ready to save the day. But the truth is, Israel's is a picture of us. We're the kingdom of God. And this, this passage, this passage in Scripture, this whole section, it reverberates with us. And God wants to teach us a lesson. And so, What I want you to understand with me is this, that Israel, before we even start, that Israel never wanted to go back and they were always called to look forward. How they got here was that if you remember about six weeks ago, Sean spoke, Pastor Sean, on Genesis 15. God had told Abraham that one day you'll have a mighty people, that the world will be saved through him, that he'll bring salvation to the nations. You have a great purpose. Well, now Israel had grown to a family and that family was in major, major problem and almost died of famine. And then God blessed them by bringing them into Egypt with their brother Joseph. Now they came into Egypt and Joseph actually saved the country. A non-Egyptian came to be the second in command, saved the entire country. And God's blessing for Israel was not permanent residence, but was to save them and to fulfill their purpose. But it happened, and Exodus 1 will tell you this, that In those days that finally a a pharaoh rose that forgot about Joseph, he said, I don't care about Joseph anymore or his legacy. And so he looked at the people of Israel who were thriving, and they went from 70 people to 2 million in 400 years. And he said, if these people get big, they could take us over. We need to enslave them. And he enslaves Israel, and Israel groans in pain. And so for most of us, how does this apply It applies because the first thing we have to do, like Israel did when they groaned in slavery, is that we have to actually evaluate truthfully where we're at. This applies to us because some of us struggle in chains and in slavery. And you may be in here for the first time, and you've never given your life to Christ. That you're in slaves and chains that you were born into like the Israelites. Some of you have been freed and given your life to Jesus, and God has freed you from your slavery, but you choose to walk back. You choose to continually be in bondage, and what do we do? We groan. Because we were built with great purpose, with great plans in mind for us. And we know something's wrong, but like the Israelites, they went, I don't know. They struggle. So you may be stuck in a group of jellyfish freaking out at 14. You may be the person that God gave an incredible gift and blessing like Israel. When he saved them, maybe God made you a very congenial person. And now you've become a people pleaser. And now you live and die at the will of other people. And your family suffers. Maybe you have a child, you didn't ask for this, but your child who you've tried to raise the way God's called you to raise them, now they've made decisions that put them on a destructive path and you feel enslaved. This is where Israel's at. Maybe you were literally in chains and you were slaves. And like Israel, we quickly realize this fact, that our land of greatest blessing is most often our land of greatest bondage. Our land of greatest blessing is most often our land of greatest bondage. Are you with me? There it is. So I want you to go with me to Exodus, chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. It'll be up on the screen, and I want to begin. When Israel groans like 14-year-old Ian with burns all over him going, no, Israel groans in pain. And we want to look at how God responds. Verse 23, he says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. They cried for rescue from slavery, Uh, I'm sorry, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Jacob, and saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Israel's purpose was greater than their original blessing. God had set them up. Now, here's what the problem is with us. Most of the time, we get the blessing mixed up with the purpose, God may have blessed you with great athletic children. And so now you worship your children. You spend all of your time putting them in sports programs versus making sure that at least some of their time is spent with Jesus. Some of us, we have great gifts, so we worship our gifts and our talents versus giving them to God for our purpose. Israel didn't realize, so they stayed in the land and they didn't ask for the slavery. But Israel found themselves in a land of incredible blessing, going, we've got so much land in Egypt, we've expanded. This is wonderful until one day they stopped living for the purpose of one day having the promised land and they settled for the temporary blessing. And we were built for greater things than that. We were built for more than just a temporary blessing. Second, that you see in that passage, God hears his children's cries, and he remembers their purpose. This is what's so wonderful. My mother didn't go, I'll get it tomorrow, and walk off when Ian's writhing in pain. My mother heard me. Our father hears us. God, all of a sudden, says, I hear Israel groaning. And he says, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard them. Now, here's what's beautiful. God saw the people of Israel, and God New. Some of you are in a place and in a pain and in bondage and in struggle and you say, God, do you hear me? Please just fix this. What is wrong with you? That's where I've been. I struggle with that. I spent years like that. And you say, God, where are you at? And let me assure you, let me let you know that God's word says that God not only hears you, but he knows your pain. God loves you, God cares about you, God sees that even though you may be in bondage, whether your fault or born into it because of sin, that God hears you, God loves you, and God will rescue you. Now, not only does God hear his children, but God never ignores your pain. Maybe you're blessed with children that you worship, charismatic personality and a people pleaser. Maybe you're just good looking and you're very vain. Do you ever think, I mean, that's just, let's be honest, it's not always like physical bondage, right? Right? Some people are just vain. I've never been able to be one of those people, so I don't know. Maybe you're very intelligent and you feel like you know everything, but now you've gotten to the point where everybody expects you to know everything and you go, I'm just one man, right? And you struggle because your own blessing has become your greatest bondage. Maybe you have an incredible family, but now you've leaned on your family to the point that you do nothing but try and control them and manipulate them to fit you. And you scream in bondage. You don't even know why you scream. You just know something's not right, but God hears you. God cares about you. God loves you. God knows your pain. And so how does God answer? This blows me away. God reminded Israel of their purpose and his power. And so in Exodus 3, 19 through 22, we're tracking here. God says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I, stretch, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and daughters so Shall, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God wanted Israel to know that not only did He hear them, but that he was also the only one that could save them. Some of you sit and wonder, you say, "How am I going to fix my child who's going crazy? How am I going to dig myself out of this hole with all my friends? How am I going to dig myself out of all of this debt? How am I going to dig myself out of these problems? And it may sound cliche and it may sound goofy, but I'm not the Jesus guy who just throws it out there. I'm not Betty Bible Drill. What I am is somebody who knows that God's word is quite clearly saying to us that the only person that frees you from it is God. Israel groaned to God, and so when God answered Israel through Moses, he said, listen, you might be in bondage, you might be in slavery, you might struggle, but I'm going to let you know something, that not only will you leave the land prepared for purpose, but that I will be the one that delivers you, and I will be the one that takes care of you. Now, there's two good things about that. One, you can't free yourself. Two, you can't free yourself. Think about this. God looks at Israel. He doesn't tell Israel 18 steps. 12-step program. You can fix it yourself. You can get out of it. That's not God. That's not our God. If we could have fixed it, Jesus would have never come. But Jesus came because we cannot fix it. But what do we do once we give our lives to Jesus? We run back into the ocean with a jellyfish. We don't enjoy our beach. We don't enjoy setting out in the sun. We run back into the same garbage that we were saved from. And God is looking at us saying, listen, is your child going crazy? Then be their parent, not their friend. I can't speak of this as a parent. I can speak of it as this recent child. That I never had a dad who looked at me and said, boy, I want to be your friend. I had a dad who I became friends with who was my father. And some of us need to know that it's not about the popularity. Let me free you from this. God is not asking you to be a friend to your student. God's asking you to be an example and to put them on the right path. He will control it. Some of us, you say, how am I going to dig myself out of debt? God will take care of it. You be faithful. God will take care of you. Some of you say, how am I going to mend the relationships with the people around me? Let me tell you this. God changed the heart of Pharaoh. Why can he not change the heart of those around you? God is that good. Now, we say amen, we get excited, but the problem is it doesn't end tomorrow. (laughs) Like, we don't pray and go, fix it, God. And then you go back and you're like, oh, come on, God. It's Tuesday. (laughs) Fix this. Right? That's where we're at. It requires time, time to do this. And God wants to change you. There is not a problem, bondage, or struggle that God cannot free you from and not a single one that you can free yourself from. If you're taking notes, that's a note. God will change you. God will protect you. God will walk you through the process. But here's the thing. This is what we need to understand, that our time of greatest opposition will always be our time of greatest preparation. Our times of greatest opposition will always be our times of greatest preparation. Now, Israel groaned for God, right? Israel went, please, God, save us. We are under the taskmaster's whip. And God said, okay, I hear you. I have great purpose for you. I love you. And then he sends Moses. And here's how Israel responds to Moses. Sorry, it's in Exodus chapter 5, 19 through 21. It says, the foremen of the people of Israel, these are the Egyptians, saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks. Here's what had happened. Israel, when they were just building bricks, building cities, building storehouses for the greatest superpower in the world at that time, they were struggling to build and keep up and the Egyptians would give straw. Now, when Moses came and said, my God's going to deliver my people and you can either let them go now or you can pay the price. Pharaoh didn't like that. And Pharaoh said, okay, how about this? We won't provide the straw, but we ain't going to drop your brick quota, so deal with it. And Israel's being whipped and beaten because they can't find straw and they can't make the bricks that they needed. And so Israel is in a time of great opposition because God is preparing them. But they say, he says, you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out to Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put the sword in their hand to kill us. The same Israel that just weeks and months before had groaned in bondage now said, Moses, get out of here. You're making our lives hard. Right? How many times do we do this? I went to the person and I apologized and they didn't just automatically say, okay, I'm struggling here, God. Fix them. Like that's our, that's our problem. Sometimes it's going to take time to work through relationships. It takes time to take every thought captive from God. Some of you struggle with what you look at on a computer. Some of you struggle with how you conduct yourselves around other people. And it takes time. God wants to prepare you, not in the short term, but in the long term. God told Israel, not only will you leave, but you will leave with the plunder of the greatest nation that this world has ever seen. That's God's promise. That's what God called them to do. And let me, if you're taking notes, take this down. To do great things through you, God must do great things in you, and it will cost you. One more time, because I know I'm a slow note taker. To do great things through you, God must do great things in you, and it will cost you. One time I remember Sean Smith was my student pastor when I was in high school, and I was at a camp, and I was goofing around with a group of guys. And it just just came to my mind. I'm with a group of guys goofing around. I was a big guy. Like I was this tall in ninth grade. And then I just went, and I stopped. Everybody just went, and went over me. So I ended up being really short. But I was big. I was 160 pounds, and I was muscular. And so I don't know what happened. But I reached around, and I grabbed this guy. And we were wrestling. I thought we were having fun. We were not. I grabbed him. He goes, and pushes me back into a wall but it just so happened there was a fire extinguisher case in that wall now normally you know you're going because you think it gashed my back no I hit the glass I didn't even feel it at first I hit the glass and the glass filleted my back it cut a circle the size of the scar it cut a circle the size of a nickel out of my back and I just went, I looked at my friend and he ran off because the fire extinguisher glass broke. Thanks, jerk. And then my other friend with me comes over and he says, Ian, uh, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine, but I think I ripped my shirt because I couldn't feel it yet. And then he looks over and he goes, you need to sit down. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, your whole shirt's covered in blood. It's an awesome thing to hear. So I sit down. This guy has the bright idea to not call the nurse who was his mother, but he took it upon himself medically to put me down on my stomach. He pulled my shirt up and he said, okay. You might want to hit me, so you can hit me if you need to. And he gets lanacane spray. And he goes, and he goes, and it goes, goes off. You can't leave a cut untreated. So he gets down, puts his knees on my back, and goes, just get ready. And I went, okay. And so said, what are you going to do? I didn't even see it. I'm just sitting here, and I'm on the floor just going, please, God, please, God, please. And he goes, it's just like me in the vinegar. And then he goes... And I swear I said some things I can't repeat on stage. And I went, no! And I start beating the, I didn't want to hit him, but I started beating the ground like a kid having a tantrum. Now, here's the truth. It, probably the nurse would have done it better, but I know his mom and she probably would have done the same thing. So, here's the truth. I learned at that point that when you have a gaping wound, it requires pain before it can be healed. Wounds have to be lanced. Great opposition comes so that we can have great Preparation. Now, not only does God want to do great things through you, in you, and that it will cost you. Israel wanted freedom, but God had to work in them before he'd work through them. What they wanted was short-term deliverance. That's really what we want. Let's be honest. We want it to be fixed tomorrow. We want it to be fixed two days from now or in a week, and then we lose steam. I want you to think about very quickly what would have happened had two million people just walked out of the land of Egypt. They would have died of thirst in the desert they would have had no food, they would have had no clothing, they would have had no money, they would have had no supplies. Had God given Israel what they asked for in the immediate, they would not have been taken care of long term. Now God told Israel that you will leave with all of the supplies, with the cattle, with the gold, with the silver, with the clothes, and God knew that 40 years of wilderness were about to come before they could step into the promised land. So pay attention to long-term versus short-term. I wanted to eat donuts every day of my life before I had dinner. If my mother had let me do that, it would have put me in a bad situation. But she didn't. She looked at my long-term versus my short-term. And most of us scream, scream for that. God wanted to leave them prepared to do a great work. I want you to remember this. God's work in you shows who he is to those who are around you. God's work in you shows who he is to those around you. God is bigger than everybody around you. Have you ever thought that maybe, if you're not an example, you're a cautionary tale, and if you're a cautionary tale, that maybe you're gonna be an example? That God wants it to be apparent to all of those around you what he's doing inside of you so that you can be saved? I had a guy that I sat with, wonderful man, goes to this church, met Jesus. We met for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we talked, and he said, I started reading the, New, the Old Testament, and I realized it's, it's pretty dirty. And I said, yeah, it's pretty dirty. Abraham's wife's going into Pharaoh's house, and things are happening. He's giving his wife up, and it's X-rated in some places. So you don't have to go watch The Hangover. You can read the Bible. And so we start talking about the idea that the Bible is screwed up, that people are messed up. Amen? Now, he said, why are they messed up? I said, they're messed up because it gives me a chance. It gives them a chance. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, this God who chooses to work counterintuitively to how we work, maybe this God wants you and wants me to be examples of those around us that even that screwed up garbage can change and be transformed. Think about if the world around us wasn't so concerned as if you were hypocritical, but when they said, you're hypocrites, you look back and said, I know, and thank God that he puts up with us. Amen? We're not perfect. If you think you are, I, I think you should find another church because I'm not good to I'm not, so I'm out. I mean, I'm, I mean, I work with this whole staff team. You can go talk to him, and nobody will say, Ian's perfect. Like, Ian's annoying. So, so not only does God want to do great things in us and through us, not only is God's work in you apparent to those around you, because your growth shows somebody else to say, I want that. If they can go from here to here, some of you know that when God saves you, that you're going to have to have a lot of conversations with your friends. That you're going to have to talk with your family. That you're going to have to say, I don't do those things anymore. Not because I'm better than you, because I, I know that that doesn't honor God. And that becomes the catalyst for you to know and for others to know who God is. And so Israel's salvation had nothing to do with their own hands and everything to do with God's power. In fact, in the next preceding ten chapters, God brings plagues on Israel and, or I'm sorry, on Egypt, God brings plagues on Egypt, and Pharaoh keeps getting frustrated and says, "No, no, no." What has happened is that at the very end of this, and at the very end of the story, it turns out that the people of Israel or Egypt by this point looked at Israel and said, "We are so afraid of your God, and we revere you so much, and you've so much favor right now. You take our gold, take our clothing, take our silver, but please, God, don't take our lives." Like that's their thought. Take everything. And so in this time of lanacaine spray, of vinegar on the legs, whatever it may be, that in this moment, when life seemed hard and they said, please curse Moses, we feel worse. What's wrong with you, God? God was preparing them to do exactly what he had told them. Don't lose heart when life seems hard because God's preparing you. If there is great opposition, then you know there is great purpose on the other side of the door. What does Satan want to do? Satan wants to keep you from ever doing anything for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if it's writing a tithe check to just being nice to somebody at the gas station. Satan wants to hinder your obedience so that you will never be an example to bring others to Christ. Now, where do we end? We end with Israel beginning to leave. Israel walks out. God delivers them yet again in the the Red Sea. And just FYI, Israel still complains at the Red Sea after being freed and goes, we should have just stayed in Egypt. And Moses is like, Really? Like, God's done nine different things and killed every firstborn in Egypt for you. You're not getting it by this point. And he splits the Red Sea and they walk through. But this point comes across over and over through the New Testament and the Old Testament referring back to Egypt. That we were set free to live free. We were set free to live free. I want you to read with me in Exodus 13. And read on screen because it's a little diced up so it's easier to understand. But he says in Exodus 13, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out of this place. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are male shall be the Lord's. And when in time... To come your sons asked you, what does this mean? You shall say to them that by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that are first that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem it shall be as a mark on your hands or frontless between your eyes for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt how do we live in freedom first thing is that we understand what freedom is and 1 Peter says that live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover up for evil but living as servants of God this is what is essential for you and for me freedom is not the right to do whatever you want freedom is is the right to choose whether you're going to serve God or not. You did whatever you wanted before you knew Jesus. In fact, Ephesians 2 says that we were born spiritually stillborn. That we were born and that when we got slapped spiritually, we didn't cry. We were dead. But that God has brought us to life Not so that we can do whatever we wanted to. We used to follow our passions and our sins, and we knew something wasn't quite right. We knew that we were built for more purpose. And so what God has freed us to do is not to go do whatever we want without consequences. God has freed us to step into a purpose that the creator of the universe built you for. That is an amazing thing. The God who created planets and created stars and created canyons and trees and mountains, that same God knows your hairs on your head. He knows you by name, John 10 says that he calls you like a shepherd to a sheep. God is ready for you to fulfill great purpose. And so you're in one of two camps right now. Either you have met Jesus and you say, I keep running back to slavery. I keep running back and I need to be freed from this because I know Jesus. I've given my life to him. It's time for me to step up and repent and turn back to what God's made me for. And some of you may step in and say, I've never been free from all this and I need Christ. Jesus came and set you free what God did through Moses for Israel was a picture of what Jesus was going to do for us it set us free and God wants to free you, God wants to change you God wants to set you apart so freedom is not the right to do what you please, it's the choice to fulfill God's purpose for you now here's where I want to end it I want to end it with this There's got to be a first step. If you are not willing to step out and go, then you can't go. And if you're like me, you stand there and you're at the blocks and you're ready to run and you're ready to go. And then all of a sudden the gun fires and you go, I'll do it tomorrow. Right? God has freed you and empowered you, if you know him, to take action. To actually do what he's called you to do. So here's what I'm asking you to do, if you'll bow your head, close your eyes with me for just a second. Nothing magical, weird about this. I used to think this was some type of chant when I was little. It's not. It puts you in your own bubble. It puts you alone so that you can think with me. Here's what I want you to do. If God is speaking to your heart, if God's word is speaking to you, if you say, "Ian, I struggle, I can't seem to get out of this bondage. I can't seem I know Jesus. But I can't seem to get away from it. I keep running back to Egypt, back to Egypt, back to Egypt. And I haven't learned that I'm called to look forward, not to look back. If you want prayer, if you want us to pray over you, if you want us to pray for you, on the count of three, I want you to just stand up. I'm not going to make you run around, do cartwheels up and down the aisles. I just want to know who you are. So on the count of three, if you want us to pray over you, stand up. One, two, three, stand up. God has built every one of us for freedom. God has built every one of us to step into great purpose. And so I want to pray over you, and and we'll keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed after we pray, but I want to pray. Father, thank you, God, that you are not a God who is apathetic, that you are not a God who steps out and doesn't care, that you're not a God who says, I'll do it tomorrow. But that you are a God who hears our cries and our pain. That you are a God who wants to free us. And I pray for every bold person who stood up right now. God, I pray for those who want to stand up. God, I pray they would still stand up. But even if they don't, I pray for them right now. I pray for their hearts. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, the same God who set Israel free, the same God that created the world, the same God that came down out of heaven and died for us to save us from our sins, I pray in that name, in the name of Jesus, the only name we have any authority in, that you would free them never to look back, that you would free them never to step back into slavery. God, to always remember what you set them free from, but to never go back to it and always look forward to what you freed them for. Father, I pray for every individual in here that you would stir in them the desire to fulfill the purpose you built them for. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage and, God, the discipline. And you would give them the understanding to know that they've got to take the step. you freed them to take the step. God. I pray that they would take the step and that God, even if their kids seem to be angry at them, even if it costs them time, even if it means they cut a sport, even if it means that they've got to take care of business in some other way that I don't know, that God, that they would do what's required because God, none of those things last for eternity. God, but everything we do for you does. God, our purpose is to know you and to make you known to enjoy you and to make you known. And so, Father, I pray for everyone standing up that you would, God, free them and God, let them know that the chains have already been broken. They just have to walk out. Now, Father, I pray for those in this room who have never given their lives to you. I'm not talking about if they need to rededicate. I'm not talking about if they want to repent. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about if they have never made the decision to follow you. If they haven't said, God, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me, take my life, I surrender it to you forever. God, I pray that right now that when they step out, that God, you would free them, God, for the first time. And if you're sitting in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, I want to give my life to Christ, I may not understand it all, but even though I don't understand it all, I want to give my life to Christ. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's not magical. If you stutter, it's okay. But I want you to say with me, Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I was born messed up and I know that I can't fix myself. And Lord, I confess to you that I sin daily. So Father, please take me, take my life, take my broken life. And God, I pray and I believe that your son died for me. I believe that your son paid my penalty. And Father, I put my trust and my hope in him. I pray, God, and I confess that Jesus is Lord. Take my life. Lord, save me. Amen.